0: Cambridge 105 Radio. Women
1: making waves.
0: I don't know about you, but I find when the nights are drawing in and the days are very short, I loathe going out for my morning or evening walk, Susie. In fact, I would go so far as to say I've actually stopped completely.
2: What do you mean you've stopped? You've stopped going out?
0: Yeah, I've stopped going out. It's too cold. No. It's too no. wet. It's too damp and it's too dark.
2: I'm a little bit gobsmacked, actually, that you don't want to go outside <laughs> mm. No, I don't. <laughs> I'd quite I happily... I do to say, except you, you, well, you need to get you outside, know. Linda. You know. It can be
0: a week goes past. If I don't have to go up to the office, I go shopping on a Friday night, And then I go shopping on a Friday night.
2: (laughs) That is hilarious that you go on a Friday night. When you go shopping, does that mean, say, you do online shopping? No, don't be daft. I do
0: it the old-fashioned way. I I pick up the bag of sugar. I feel that it is the correct (laughs) weight and not leaking. I look at it. I check sell-by dates. I investigate what I'm buying put it in my trolley, and then I pay for it. I don't even scan as I go. None of that new stuff. I go to the checkout. I make sure I get a person behind the checkout who, you know, really usually annoys me because I can't keep up with them and pack my bags in time. But anyway, and then I pay for it. Anyway, the point is, the point that was making is I am becoming quite unfit because I'm I'm just staying in the house the whole time. Right, but even
2: if you're becoming unfit, which I have to say, we need to talk about this in a minute, but I'd like to know, if you are staying in, are you Mm -hmm. reading anything? Or oh, listening I to all, anything? I read all day. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Yes. So, the, so books is sort of. I read books. Hmm, so yeah, we're and there I go with to bed the books. At night. Good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so that just makes
0: it worse because you're still not moving.
2: No, but I'm just slightly worried that you've cut yourself off from the world. But you haven't really because you are doing lots of things from home. Let's from be home. Say, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's mm-hmm. been something that we've all done because of COVID. Mm-hmm. We've stuck to a few more things doing from home.
0: Just stuck to that whole lifestyle, <laughs> the whole COVID <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> Of not buying clothes or shoes and just, you know, doing with what I have.
2: OK, so we need to tackle this, Linda. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a, a slightly worrying me, as your friend, mm-hmm. that you are at home most of the time. Yeah, yeah.
0: My next door neighbour knocked on the door yesterday. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I thought, who the heck's that yeah. knocking on the door? And how
2: dare that person knock on my door? I mean, well, I, mean I don't mean, really I want to... I had to walk
0: to the door, quite <laughs> honestly. So uh, anyway, I answered the door. I answered the door. And it was my next door neighbour. And she said, I'm really, really sorry to ask, can I cut down... Your grapevine that's coming over into our side, and I went, "Oh yeah, of course. I've got. In fact, look, I'll come and do it because I felt really guilty, and it is my grapevine that's, you know, it's (laughs) it's careering all over the place. Quite frankly, out of control." And she said, "No, no, no, no. Well, well, cut it down. I just wanted permission." And then she said, "And and just in case," she said as an afterthought, "just in case you you hear any screaming." (laughs) I'm due to have a baby in two weeks. I didn't oh. even know she was
2: pregnant. Oh, you have been cutting yourself from the big wild world world. Yeah, you yeah, so so obviously how did you feel after that? I bet you felt that you should be cutting the grapevine
0: yourself. Well I you? did. Oh well done. I did, you. but she wouldn't have it. Oh. So Okay. I had a
2: <laughs> Okay. I
0: had an eight month pregnant woman cutting down <laughs> my grapevine for me. Okay, so would, I, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as as I maybe making it sound. There'd be a few a few trailing <laughs> things going across the other side, but I would quite happily that's have gone well. out and done it. I did feel rather bad, yeah.
2: Okay, all right, but that does strike me as if to say you need to put your foot out the door a bit more, even than just
0: usual. into the garden uh, to cut the grapevine. Yes, yeah.
2: yeah, well that's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Now, now, and let's go back to the fitness mm-hmm. here, Linda. Are you are you worrying that you're not doing as much uh, as many steps? I'm not doing any steps. Do you have a
0: step count? Do you have a no? Well, I used to, but it it broke. Probably from lack of use, but it broke. So yeah no no I don't know I don't have that.
2: Okay so we do need to get you sorted don't we. Well this is a perfect time then to talk about our two guests isn't it because they really are trying to connect you with the outside world uh, and I they think are. that's what we're trying to they do. They'll here.
0: have a struggle but yes they will be trying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we have Cindy Ford Cambridge based
0: author. Yeah Cindy Ford she's great you know she's the founder of Planetary and it's very much based on environmental work. And she's just produced a book called Bright New World. And I tell you what, it is worth having a look on her website at Bright New World if you want to go to the planetary website because it's a blaze of colour. It's just amazing. Absolutely beautiful.
2: Yeah, we're very excited about talking to her. And the other two guests today, they're two friends And they have started an interesting little collaboration. It's a studio called Fresh, and it provides Ely with a space for fitness and mental health well-being as well. And we'll be finding all about that later on today as well. I wonder if they'd move it
0: to my village. Yes,
2: yes, maybe that's a good idea because you could take your first steps out of the door. Yeah, maybe if they moved it next
0: door, perhaps.
2: then you wouldn't have to walk very far, (laughs) but then your step count would go zero. But yes, I think that would be quite good if we could have something for you next door. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about
0: women doing extraordinary things. We are joined today by environmentalist, speaker and author, Cindy Ford, founder and CEO of Planetary and campaigner with She Changes Climate and lots more besides. Cindy works with leaders in education, communication and sustainability, including the University of Cambridge and the United Nations. Cindy has just published a children's book called Bright New World. Now, I know that's only the tip of the iceberg. And thank you very much for joining us today, Cindy.
3: Oh, thank you so much, Susie and Linda. It's a real pleasure to be part of your wonderful podcast.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I think this is going to be very, very interesting. At what point in your life did you realise that you wanted to get involved in helping to save the planet?
3: Well, to be honest, uh, Linda, I didn't have too much choice. Uh, both my, my parents were um, you know, very keen on environment and civil rights. So they're very activist in their own right. So I just kind of grew up in that and it made perfect sense to me. And over the years, obviously, it's moved from the margins to the mainstream as an issue that's now seen as possibly the most critical issue of our time. So I'm glad my parents were right about something.
0: (laughs) I know, I know, (laughs) because there was a lot of contention about it back then, actually, wasn't there? Not that long ago, in fact. I mean, I remember interviewing someone about, I don't know, five years ago, and it was a scientist, and I actually said to her, do you believe in climate change? And she said, oh, yes, absolutely. It's, it's a definite thing. But even then, that recently, there was still this doubt in our minds. It's really changed now.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's great how many people are aware now and really want to do something. It's a, you know, It's a terrible shame that it's taken this long. But I think we need to focus on what is positive, And that is that so many people care now and really want to do something.
2: Because mm, I remember years ago, but I remember as a child looking on the TV at the Greenpeace activities. And and it was a, a world we couldn't even associate ourselves. It was something that somebody else was doing. But now I think people are far more respective of this situation, aren't they? So the, the media build it up into, they sensationalise it. But I think there's a whole lot more respect now for people that are really trying to make us all aware of climate change.
3: Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It is a shame how the media portrayed activists and activism and the activities that were taking place. But I do think that um, this is so much embedded now in the heart. I mean, we've had the whole rise of corporate social responsibility, the rise of the socially responsible investment movements, the ESG movements. So it's just... Moved its way right into the mainstream of how we think, how we do things. So hopefully some of those barriers are breaking down. I think that was a real shame because it got politicised, whereas this and you know know, the loony lefty greenies kind of thing and the the sensible. But I think that's that's so divisive, and this is not a political issue. It's just an Mm -hmm. issue about what we need to do now to build a, a world with a future. And I think most people are very much beginning to see it that way.
0: Absolutely. You did a master's in business and sustainability why the business side of it did you see that as a way of making an impact
3: yes absolutely that was in 1998 I think and that was one of the first masters in sustainable development particularly from the business point of view and that was funded by um the rather wonderful Anita Roddick who founded the body shop yeah yeah that was her whole ethic all the way through hugely successful as a business person and so her intervention if you like in making change was by funding a course at bath university to bring forward this whole wave of business leaders who were equipped to deal with the challenges that we are now facing as a global society so you know that was way back on the radar in 1998 it was a fantastic cohort of people that i studied with engineers people from the water industry people from retail people you know like buyers from new look Me, I was in communications, just a a fantastic range of people. And I think that's so important because if you embed it into how you learn to run your business it is just business as usual it doesn't make sense to have a business that harms the life support systems of our planet so I think that was it was very foresighted of Anita to very. to fund that and you can you see that happening more in business courses now that sustainability is a component.
2: It is all about empowering people within what they're doing at the time and not thinking it's on the outside but actually doing it as a way of life and i think that's exactly what you're trying to do aren't you yeah
3: absolutely i mean it isn't about giving things up it sounds a strange thing to say but in some ways this is the most exciting time to be alive we, we have pushed our backs against the wall but there's such opportunity here for transformation and for innovation and i think sometimes necessity does drive the greatest innovation. So there's that we do need to reinvent how we operate most of our large systems, our energy system, our food system, our economic system. But the outcome of doing that is a world that works much better, really, for everybody, because we are a very young species. Perhaps evolution does happen through Trial and error, but we either evolve to working in a much more symbiotic way with Earth, which means more abundance for all, or we edit ourselves out of the plan, to be honest. So I think we're a smart enough species to get with the program and start adapting. And I think we can create a world that is much more harmonious, fair, and probably more enjoyable to live in for most people than what we have now.
0: I was really interested to see that you're on the steering committee of She Changes Climate. Can you tell us a bit about that group?
3: Gladly, uh, Susie and Linda, thank you very much for asking. So She Changes Climate grew out of um, a, a really appalling prospect, actually. Britain hosted COP26 last year in Glasgow. And I think the September before the delegate team was announced and there wasn't a single woman the team (laughs) at decision making level not a single woman you know in in a country that's supposed to be western and franchised so you know i'm part of a network of women called women in the environment and it's mostly pretty influential women who work on environmental issues and when we saw that report and just thought there's just no way this can stand this has to be challenged and two fabulous women Antoinette Vermilier and Bianca Pitt really took up the baton and they formed She Changes Climate. This is a very well-connected network. So they pulled in some of the global female figures in climate change, like Christina Figueras, Mary Robinson, and people from the arts world like Emma Thompson, Lily Cole, and just launched a global petition to the British government. I think it was 400 women leaders to say, you know, this is absolutely mad. There must be diversity and decision-making Otherwise, as with all monocultures, you get collapsed. And that's what we're seeing now. We, we have a, you know, effectively a patriarchy, which is decisions made to protect the, the interests of a, you know, as a, as a single interest group. I think there's lots of goodwill to do good things, but essentially it's to maintain the decisions have been made up to very recently to maintain the status quo. And unless you include voices from other perspectives, that's all you're going to get. And we cannot maintain this status quo, because it's the very thing that's fueling most of the problems. So that's how She Changes Climate came about. You know, we met with Alec Sharma, as he was at the time. He was the head of COP, you know, and senior people in that. But it was incredibly hard to move them. They really did not see that that was an issue. And so actually that just caused the movement to grow. It's gone from being a British movement to now being a global movement. And we're taking the same campaign out to COP27. And it's really now a global campaign that any planetary decisions must be made with at least a 50-50 representation of women's voices, including from the global south.
0: I know. I was looking at the stats on the She Changes website. And... Only 34% of COP26 committees and 30, this is all of the committees, and 39% of those leading delegations were women. And at the 2021 G7 summit, there was only one woman amongst the decision makers. One woman. Women are often at the forefront of these changes. You know, we were talking about organisations earlier on, and it's often women, when you see demonstrations, it's often women that are at the forefront, because they are the ones that are passionate about this kind of thing and sustaining life, really.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, there, there's a lot of men that hold that worldview too, but we're now shifting from this relentless competition extract to extinction paradigm which may have served a few people very well you know post throughout colonization the industrial revolution those are the models that have been the dominant models and they have generated huge amounts of wealth some of it has trickled down but we actually live in a world now when half of the world's wealth is owned by seven men that is (laughs) the absolute truth but it's seven human beings is grotesque anyway but it is you know it's seven men so that model just isn't working and if you look at how natural ecosystems work that are robust and that survive and have longevity they are ecosystems that are based on collaboration and symbiosis so so people might may call that you know a feminine worldview but it doesn't mean that men there's plenty of men that actually also um think like that and that does need to be where We have to shift to make the adaptations that will mean that we survive. You know, in any ecosystem, again, if there's a predator that becomes too powerful, nature will take the predator out. Mm. And that's kind of what we're seeing with this model is it's just imploding. And women are actually the most affected by climate change. Often it's um, the poorer communities that are most affected and and women who are Mm. more affected by climate change, by nature of the work uh, that they do and the positions they hold in society. They're most vulnerable.
2: It's still hard to try to find the men to support the issues that women are in a minority at the moment when it comes to big decisions. Yeah, it depends what
3: constituency you're in, because there are just so many fantastic men in this movement for systemic change, which is what we're talking about here. And they have no issue at all with understanding how important that is how power balances work how the historic systemic structure has so much advantaged men over women and they're very conscious of that and, right. and will support hugely by voice and by action but you've then you hit a whole other area of society where these just like I have to say COP 27 much more um, conventional institutions they just will not shift on it. They're very much indoctrinated still about what women are capable of, and Mm. also there is this massive protection of the status quo, which is in their vested interest. They are representatives of the interest group who still benefit most from this system, so they're not feeling the impacts as much, and really they're paid to hold that system in place, and that means excluding women who speak you know, with a voice of, you know, of natural systems of, of adaptation and change. The only women that tend to get through are women who will champion that status quo. And then they're held up. Oh, we do have women. But they're women who are, who are almost mouthpieces for that yes. system rather than who challenge it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've had lots of senior jobs and then you started Planetary. Tell us about that.
3: Well, you know, as I said, I've been, um, you know, I've been an environmental campaigner, activist, you know, since my own childhood, really, and an activist in my teens. And then I guess most of my career has been spent on working out where you, we can make effective change, at which points on the system you can make it, you know, from being an angry teenager outside the gates to, being, to working on socially responsible investment inside the boardroom or sustainability in corporates, you know, with my communications. Hat on. But all the way through for me has been this theme. Instead of spending these, sometimes the budgets are very large to fix, to stick plasters over disasters. What if we actually raised a generation of human beings who thought differently so these problems are stopped at source? You know, Einstein famously says you cannot solve the problems with the same thinking that created them. You know, you have to design new models and new ways of thinking. (laughs) So children are born eco-literate. We're products of our education system, of the system that we're funneled into. So we're very much funneled into the system now, which trains us to be consumers and we cannot carry on with that we we live on a a planet with finite resources we have to change the model so to change it at source so that the absurdities that we now do are exposed for what they are really in the book that I've just written that's that's the starting point children look back from the future and they're going like really did we really used to do that when we (laughs) knew what the effects are So it feels like the most powerful intervention that I felt equipped to make was in challenging the education system, really, and what we actually enable our young people, the relationship they have with planet Earth, and to equip them to be the innovators and entrepreneurs of of, of a world with a future. So I've tried to trojan horse it into a lot of the other jobs that I've had, to be perfectly honest. But then I got to the stage where I just thought, you know, time's up. I'm I'm very passionate about this. I also am a creative. I tell stories. My background is as a storyteller. big bad world of advertising some of the time but um, but and uh, yeah and a real passion for children's media children's education and I just kind of putting the two together just felt like the right thing to do at this time especially seeing as we have so little time to solve these problems in any way that's going to have an impact so mm. I just thought no more tinkering around the edges really let's just
0: go go for it. And, and the book that you mentioned Bright New World, looks. Amazing. It looks colourful. It's packed with stuff. It's gorgeous. And it's set in the future, I believe. Tell us a little bit about it.
3: Well, yeah, that's right. It looks at where we need to make systemic change, energy, food, transport, how we educate women our carbon sinks, our our oceans, our rainforests, but it's set in the future to tell children, look, it's absolutely possible to get out of this. All the solutions or the major mitigation to our global climate and ecological breakdown exists. The major barriers to them are in the way that we think, social and political barriers. So that's set in the future to give children this real sense of optimism and hope. Look, this is the world that we can have. It's absolutely perfectly doable and feasible because look, we're here and the children look back and they as i said they say no now they they speak from the future it's not perfect but the oceans have regenerated the the rainforests have regenerated we live in livable sustainable cities so that each section opens with this beautiful vision of very realistically where we could be if we change course now and accelerate all the all the positives and then it looks at well this is where we are now in real time this is what's causing the problems and then it says and this is what we need to do to build this roadmap to this Mm. brighter world so each section is presented in that way Mm. and so to really highlight to not ignore the problems because that wouldn't help anybody but to really highlight that the solutions are there sitting in front of us you know right on the table and all we need to do is move
2: there's a, a piece here that I'm just reading actually it says a joyous abundance of a book with hope dripping off the page I'd like every person to have it and every older person to have the recipe for this cocktail of delight at their fingertips and that was Sir Tim Smith author and co-founder of the Eden Project I mean that's that's fantastic I just want to know a very important part here as I'd like every young person to have it So is this a mission that it's great you've done the book? It's getting that message out. And for me, that is equally as important as the book
3: absolutely right Susie and that's something that you know we're building into the model of planetary because it can't just be for children that can afford it with the book I'm afraid I've got certain limitations because that I've collaborated with a you know the fantastic publishing company Wellbeck, who are totally behind the mission but so what we're hoping to do is get some kind of sponsorship so that we can take the book into schools in underserved communities mm-hmm. um, you know looking at recreate as we've done with some of the other planetary um, resources create things digitally so they can be downloaded you know anywhere in the world it still does mean that you you need some kind of tech infrastructure but it's a lot cheaper than getting a whole book though we would like to get books into these communities but we support them with resources so that families or teachers can actually use those to augment the learning or to work digitally and use it with print that can be downloaded I've, I've created materials like that for example an ocean adventure which is looking at how to look after our oceans. So yeah, to apply the model to Bright New World as well. Because yeah, absolutely vital that the message gets out and it is a really positive one And I think that some of the time we feel so debilitated because the the situation we're in is so overwhelming. Mm. You think I can't do anything about this. But when you break it into small pieces and you can see what can be done, then you start to people think, yeah, well, actually, I can, you know, we can move this way and it can happen. And I think that's a hugely important message for children and their families and teachers and the world at large.
0: I wondered who the book is aimed directly. Is it directly at children or is it more towards teachers who can steer them through the the learnings in the book.
3: Well, a little bit of both, really, um, Linda. I mean, I'd love a child just to be able to pick it up and curl up on the sofa and read it. You know, as like you say, the illustrations are designed to be really inviting. There's tons of detail on the page so you can find all sorts of lovely things going on. You don't need to read it from start to finish. You can dip in, you can dip out. So I want it to be a really, a really fabulous adventure for children that they return to again and again. And also, it's definitely designed to work in the classrooms, because part of the difficulty with this is sustainability is not on the curriculum. There's no place for it on the curriculum, which I find entirely, really utterly insane. Yeah, there's bits that fit, you know, that are slotted in here and there, but there's no overall plan to put sustainability systemically across all subjects. With bright new world and the other resources that we've made a planetary it can be in maths, it can be in geography it can be in literacy it can be in science there's, you know, there's as i say the activities we' created are designed to be multidisciplinary and transdisciplinary so it's really easy for teachers to find ways to bring these subjects into the classroom and teachers do a phenomenal job they really do but they feel under prepared to teach these subjects and under resourced
0: and they don't have a mandate for it That <laughs> is incredible because yes. that was something i was going, i was going to ask you (laughs) if you thought there was enough focus on climate change in schools? I think you've just answered that. There clearly isn't. So unless a teacher was really into that themselves, I guess,
3: That's it. It's it's not going to happen. It has to be. You've got the eco teachers who are really passionate about it themselves. They find ways of putting it into the curriculum. But as you get into later years in school, out of primary school, because things are teach to test and are are all designed around passing the prescribed exams. So much of that stuff has to come out. If the teachers have managed to get it in in the first place, which I think is actually morally abhorrent, that the Mm -hmm. children are going to leave the schools in a world with the window of opportunity we have now to make change. The preparation just isn't there at the school. The children know it and they're furious, as you've seen with the climate strikes, the youth strikes for climate, the, the movement teach the truth, teach the future. They are really pushing for this but the governments you know they're such huge institutions and they can't change the um the recently the conservative government announced a world-leading uh climate change (laughs) strategy which appeared to be giving the option of one g an extra gcse in um life sciences in natural history So that is just not being taken seriously enough at that level, which is the absolutely critical level. Mm. That is part of the objective of Planetary. And there's other really superb um, organisations who are working on moving transformative education into the mainstream. But it's incredibly hard because the schools want to say, well, we have to get the children to pass these exams. And unless the exams change, then Mm -hmm. we can't change our content.
4: Mm. And even yeah. if
3: the parents want something different, which they do, they're stuck with in this system. Unless the children come out with, you know, with the best possible grades they can in these current examined subjects, then they they can't progress in a way that's recognised. So there is a really deep systemic work that needs to happen in our education systems to equip young humans to be able to understand this stuff in a way that is profound enough for them to actually start to be the innovators who can create the change that we need and and support that. This has been
0: a brilliant conversation actually, Cindy. Cindy Ford really enjoyed it and I'm wishing you all the best luck with Bright New World. I hope it goes into all of the schools very, very quickly. Thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thank you so much Susie and Linda for all the fantastic work you do and for giving me the opportunity to be part of it.
2: Coming up shortly, we'll be chatting to Sarah Ford and Alice Loom from Fresh. Cambridge 105 Radio. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Our guests today are Sarah Ford and Alice Loom. Now, they're founders of their company called Fresh, and they're from Ely in Cambridgeshire. Sarah and Alice are first and foremost pals and fitness professionals, having over 25 years of teaching experience in the dance and fitness industry. These two women have a thirst to teach health and well-being for everyone that walks into their studio. We're hoping today to get a real insight in how to run a business in these challenging times. And we'd also just like to get to know Sarah and Alice too. So lovely to have you with us here, for Women Making Waves, both of you. Thank oh, you. For thanks having for having us. us.
0: <laughs> yeah, welcome. Pe- people say never start business with friends. Have you found? Have you found it's it's been great, and or, or do you have your differences occasionally? But you, you you work through
4: them. Do you know what? Well, I I think I mean Alice might have a completely different view of this. But we'll <laughs> no, find you, out go you go first. You go first, Sarah, maybe and we'll find out. <laughs> um, I actually find that the one of the things that linked us so well, we had really similar like ideals and morals about what we wanted but actually we're very different people so alice is like the really sensible one of the two of us she's kind of like keeps us grounded and if i'm being a bit of a lunatic about something or trying to go off on a tangent about something that we you know we need to like stay on a path alice will sort of like bring it back down work out how we can actually make it work financially or how we can logically do an idea that maybe i've got and that sort of thing so i think because we we are quite different we sort of balance each other out as well um and i think there's definitely been there's there's been things that we've maybe not not necessarily not even really disagreed on but had maybe different ideas but because from the word go we've had such an open com- like communication it's just worked really really well and i think we've talked about this before actually because it's, it's so strange you know when you, if you make friends when you're adults it's a weird, really weird situation anyway. So I remember when me and Alice first started to get friends, I come home to my partner and be like, Alice was she's, she was silly in front of me today. I think she she was she was so professional when she was working for me and I'm not a particularly professional person. And every now and again she'd sort of like let out another little Relax, like you know, relaxed way in front of me, and I was like, oh, I think she's, I think we're getting friends. I mean, it's <laughs> um, So it's a weird thing because then you sort of like, you know, you've got to maybe hang out outside of work or something, and then that's like you're asking for a date with that person, and you know, it all <laughs> kind of goes a bit funny like that. But I think because it's it's strange that we've met as adults and we've had such a good connection as friends, and then also we've launched this business together and it's worked so well. But I think part of the reason it's worked well is because we don't have years and years of like mm. pent up issues or like little things that bothered us when we were 16 or anything like that you know we've been able to just start this completely clean step slate as adults who you know you communicate better when you're an adult anyway so we've come to this relationship in a really grown-up way and I think that's been really really beneficial for mm. us and for the business yeah
0: yeah are you are you happy with that Alice then yeah that's, <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty
1: Assessment. Accurate. <laughs> yeah I quite like the way that she's fangirling me at one point as well that's good yeah,
0: that, was, that, 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 that oh. was impressive yeah yeah no but I think
1: yeah I think I totally agree with Sarah I think because we started our sort of communication as a working r- relationship first mm-hmm. it really kind of set those you know boundaries respect all that kind of stuff whereas you know I think when you're like Sarah said when you're friends for years it's you know there's a bit you're almost family-like aren't you and there's a few mm-hmm. gray areas but it's with Sarah it's always been really clear and It's lovely to have like a working friendship and just a friendship as well. And I think that's got us Mm. through significantly tough times. Having that friendship foundation as well is really, really important. Mm. The Fresh, I am right in saying that you actually found this, this
2: company Fresh in 2020. Is that right, the end of 2020?
4: On, in March 2020.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, because <laughs> I've got here the launch of the Fresh Studios at the end of 2020. So we, well,
4: the, we opened the actual studio then when we, there was a, a tiny little break between lockdowns, but we launched it in March when we went into lockdown. Wow, so that, that is the yeah. worst time. Yeah, could have, yeah.
1: <laughs> we timed it beautifully. <laughs> <You
4: did. laughs> so just waiting to press that button. <laughs> so
2: presumably before lockdown, or did you say after lockdown?
4: It was it was so so we essentially so what happened was we we found this building that we wanted and we would applied for some funding, and we were waiting the, for the funding to come through, and that was sort of December time we'd applied, and then you know this this COVID thing was starting to appear around the corner at us, but we didn't really know what was going to happen, and then when we went into lockdown, both of us were working. Obviously, we were running uh, teaching dance, but we were also both working in gyms. Um, Alice a lot more than me actually, and so essentially we realized that from the monday we weren't going to have jobs where well, a lot of our work was suddenly going to go out because we were self-employed we weren't going to be furloughed and we were about to be in this kind of sticky situation and so we just sort of thought well let's just launch fresh now even though we didn't have the building we weren't sure if it was going to go through we just thought well let's do it as an online thing we don't have anything else to do <laughs> so we spent the weekend before lockdown the last few days of being able to be around people and um, we set up the website we set up all the zoom classes we got a timetable together just all essentially in two days and just launched it on the monday so as soon as we went into lockdown people had something to keep them fit and healthy while they're at home well, that, that's wow.
2: really interesting because Joe Wicks obviously started something in lockdown, didn't he? And, and he yeah, was, got a
4: bit bigger than us. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but, I it. <laughs> well, I, it's all
2: relative, isn't it? But what's very interesting is I think Wicks did start something fairly soon, but you obviously were there. Your forward thinking got you to where you are now. But I mean, was that something that you'd seen before online? So it really propelled you, didn't it? Doing the online way before you were going to do it.
1: Yeah, I guess it's something that we hadn't really thought about before. I think the whole COVID Mm. thing kind of forced us to really just do it and kind of ask questions later. I think that's what kind of worked so well as well, that we didn't have the time to overthink it or talk ourselves out of it. It was just kind of do or die at that point. So we just went for it. And, you know, we converted our spare rooms into makeshift studios and, yeah, just had to work around Mics and cameras and Zoom and sharing the music and we spent hours trying to sorting that all out and yeah it was long nights. (laughs)
0: Can imagine,
1: yeah. But actually, you know, we sustained it for such a long time. Right up until we opened in November, we still had you know loads of people tuning in online. And even after we launched Mm. the studio, we still run online classes now from our studio when we're running an in-house class. And those same people are still there. And it, it was really lovely because we managed to have clients, not just from Ely, we had people tuning in from Cambridge, from Spain. We even had people from mm-hmm. New Zealand that I'd taught before coming over, tuning in mm-hmm. for it. So it was really like a global thing. Not quite as big as Joe Wicks, <laughs> but I mean it, it was it but was really close. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah so. We spoke to someone else actually, another of our women making waves, who did exactly the same thing. She had an established premises and she had to go online at you know, quite short notice, just just like you did. And she said the funny thing was that people who'd left the area but really enjoyed doing her classes um mm. had actually joined again so it it expanded it out into it like you say global really rather than just kind of people living in the local area which which is kind of interesting really as a concept so you you've kept that going as well have you so
4: yeah I mean that's one of the things as well we would have, I don't think we would have thought about doing an online streaming class for maybe years if the COVID hasn't hadn't happened and we our funding had just come through and we'd opened our bricks and mortar studio, we would have just run in-house class. We had no plans at that time to do anything online or on demand or anything. So it kind of opened up this new branch of the business that we wouldn't have necessarily done before. And it does mean, again, what one of the things that we really wanted to achieve through Fresh was making fitness and wellness accessible to everyone in whatever way they want to. And my mum was joining the classes online and she would never normally go to a class because she'd feel embarrassed or she would yeah, feel fit in that. Yeah. yeah, And like that, but yeah. she felt she could definitely do it while she was in her room. And mm. it, that was really nice. And, it, and things like that. I remember she was to join my Friday lunchtime class. And then everyone would sign off and then we'd start, sit and have a little chat and you know we were really disconnected at that point because we were in lockdown and we weren't being able to see each other and those sort of little moments were really really nice as well and there was people in the classes as well that started to get to know each other through zoom and so <laughs> all of these kind of good things actually came out of what was a really devastating situation yeah um yeah. but yeah it kind of it did work in a, in a lot of ways it did really work well
2: so on that note then running a company is it's got to be hard work at the beginning and i'm sure it's hard work right through when you're actually starting to run a business how challenging was it well we know how challenging it was because you started in lockdown but generally running a business did you find that that sometimes you wanted to give up or
1: did it make you more determined um i don't think there's any ever been a point where we've wanted to give up i think there's definitely been times where we've had enough and just want a holiday and just have a break from it. And obviously when you're first setting up a business, you just can't, you know, you can't afford to do that. But I think what made us kind of stick through it was the fact that we we knew that we were really actively helping people in the area. And, you know, there were months where, well, months and months where we never got paid or, you know, we were pretty much doing it completely off our own backs. But just the client base that we've got here is really special. And I think that, it sounds, you know, it sounds a bit corny, but those are the sort of people that we think about when things are a bit tricky. And it's a, it's a role that's always evolving. And I think that's what kind of keeps us on our toes a little bit and makes it exciting Mm. and makes us want to progress because, you know, we, we finally figure something out and we're like, yes, we are nailing this boss life. And then (laughs) something else blows up and we're like, oh God, okay, we're back to square one again. (laughs) Um, But I think we, I think, us as women have grown so much over these three years. I, think I myself particularly, I felt like I was a little bit, I still am a little bit, but a little bit wimpy with, you know, decision making <laughs> and dealing with confrontation and all those sort of things that I like to sort of run away with. But I think obviously being the director, you there's no one else you can really sort of palm that off to. You've got to do it. So I think it's been really good for me personally to grow within the role. And yeah, I, I love it. And I'm sure that Sarah probably feels the same.
4: <laughs> mm. I think the other thing about the hard times, I think there's two two points to it that I think has been really big for me. One is that from the word go, again, because we were in lockdown, we were really open, particularly on social media, about how we were feeling. So we had blogs and we were doing kind of posts about stuff and we were just really open and honest with everyone that was following us about issues we were maybe having with our mental health or how tough we were finding lockdown or how much we missed our friends. And It actually really bonded, again, this community that we have. And people really appreciated that we were vulnerable and open about those sorts of things. So we were able to just be open about that through our business. And that set the tone going forward. It means that other people, when they come in to see us, they feel like they can be like that as well. And if they're having an off day, they don't have to be perfect. They can just come and chat to someone at the studio if they need to. And I think that's kind of they carried us through that in in a lot of ways. And the other side to it is that having... Another person that you're running the business with. Whenever me and me or Alice have had a wobble, we've been able to. I mean, our office honestly has been home to so many breakdowns. (laughs) I can't even begin to explain. (laughs) Um, Just you know, and sometimes it's, it's lasted a week or two weeks where one of us has just been really, really low and really struggling with it, and you know, not for any any reason that we could sort out within the business necessarily but it's just been tough or we've just been really burnt out and we
0: mm.
4: you know miss our social life or whatever it is but having that other person there that can just lift you back up again and maybe be silly in the office or you know anything like that it just it's been so incredible to have that support all the time and have somebody else on your team that's going to just sort of like take the take a bit more of the weight for a while yeah, yeah. no, you're
0: you're right. It, it is. I think having two of you, imagine doing it on your own. You know that would be very very tough. I would think. I don't but, think we'd still mm, be
1: here. No, I don't think we would. i will be, be back. i will be back doing um, children's birthday parties,
0: <laughs> <laughs> dressed, dressed as a clown. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it would be easy to think that you're doing a bit of dance and a bit of fitness, but I'm looking at the the list of things that you do. You've got a vegan cafe going on. You've got a dojo the fitness studio you've got all kinds of things going on from meditation and kickboxing and pilates and chair-based exercise yoga bar the, mm-hmm. i mean there's <laughs> loads and loads of stuff going on have you got other people who are coming in to do some of these classes alongside you
4: uh yeah we we do have quite a lot of teachers i've actually um really minimized my teaching now ours is still teaching quite a lot but i've sort of tried to go a bit more on the marketing side of things more recently but we've got a team of i don't know 15 I think teachers is that right Alice? Oh, yeah, around about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. 15. Yeah, and then we've got we've also got a like a great team of staff as well. So we've got an amazing studio manager Fiona and we've got two admin members as well that are just incredible and then we've got a couple of front of house and fitness instructors that kind of work for us on a mainly basis and they're just fantastic they all do so much and they really believe in like the fresh values and they just get so stuck in you know they really are ambassadors and it's that's massively helpful and every time we kind of employ the next person who we know is a sort of dream member of the team it just alleviates a little bit more for us and just takes a little bit of stress off and means that we can go okay, everything's going to be all right because we don't need to necessarily be like kind of watching over the shoulders or anything. We Mm. we know that Mm. we completely trust them to kind of take it on and that's been huge for us to be able to kind of take a not take a step back necessarily, but take a step back of the sort of day-to-day running of the studio, um, which was much needed at points. (laughs) Um,
2: I will come back to that, but I'm interested in the social media part and the managing that because I think that's quite an important part of any business now, I think very much so. But what I wanted to come back, just touching on you taking a step back, do you have mentors? If you do, how important is it to get some advice from the outside coming back in again? Is that something that you've tried to do as well?
1: When we first originally started, we obviously spoke to friends and family and both our dads were kind of involved in business, obviously. Well, particularly my dad. <laughs> he had lots of opinions. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we, we, um, <laughs> we had to listen to that. So yeah, he gave us lots of advice. And we were very fortunate. When we actually won um, a local SME award, it's hosted by Growth Works, and we've now got um, a really, really lovely guy, Stephen, who's kind of coaching us in the background of how we can ex- expand the business kind of going forward in the next sort of three or four years. Uh, and that's been really, really helpful because I think there's only so much when you're in it 24-7, I think you do slightly get a little bit pigeonholed because you're kind of focusing on the smaller things. Um, And just having that kind of third person to come in and say, well, have you thought about potentially doing this or offering this? Mm -hmm. It's just having that refreshment of a different opinion that's not so sort of heavily bogged down with sort of day to day stuff. And he suggested some really exciting things and ways that we can potentially get grants and funding for that as well, because that's another thing that. I think unless you're in that sector, you don't necessarily know what is available for businesses and particularly new businesses about how we can expand quicker with a little bit of assistance as well, which is was really helpful too.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we've also we, yeah. my sister also she runs her own business as well. Um she's a chartered management accountant. She's been my like financial director for different companies, and she's been so kind to us through the last couple of years to just kind of help us and look over our books every now and again if we mm-hmm. need it. And there's been a couple of times where we've been in quite a scary situation financially just because it's got a bit quiet or new rates have gone up or different things like that. And she's been able to just look really objectively. And uh, the social media
0: that that Susie was was keen to come back to, I'm I'm also keen to come back on that. It's quite hard, isn't it? Unless you're really good at that kind of thing or, or are you natural at it? perhaps um but um it is quite hard to know what to say on social media and not the right things to attract the right people uh, have you taught yourselves that how's that gone because it sounds like your business has really taken off and been really successful um, i'll let
4: sarah do this because she's the insta whiz <laughs> <laughs> because both of us had run our own businesses beforehand like smaller businesses and as sole traders that sort of thing we'd we'd already both had to kind of get our heads around to a smaller degree and then so when we first started our business our social media strategy was essentially just us going on a friday would go okay so what what do you want to post on monday oh, i'll post this okay i'll post this on tuesday and it just it just became us like jotting it down a piece of paper and we used to post every day which now is a bit nuts because that's that's so much work but again we had a lot less on in lockdown so yeah we were just posting what we thought was interesting at the time and again people were a bit stuck at home we didn't really that was the only way that really people were connecting and we did build a really good foundation through social media and because we were engaging a lot with our clients on there it worked really really well and then over time I've just done a couple of different sort of like courses or read an ebook about something or I find it interesting for business I don't i think that social media has a lot of like negative issues um around stuff personally but i think with business it can be a really really positive platform to use particularly instagram what we've always tried to do is spread positivity not in like uh you know kind of toxic positivity way just in a let's just not take ourselves too seriously that's our sort of main vibe i'd say (laughs) just kind of taking the mick out of ourselves and we've just tried to keep that regardless of how big we get we want to keep because I think people just need a little bit of joy to their lives and uh, laugh every now and again. So one of the main things that does the best and that we're known for the most on social media now is that Alice and I just basically do silly videos and we just <laughs> lip sync to a song or, or do... We would actually filmed one today. We filmed one for our Christmas event that's coming up. And it's just us being ridiculous, basically. But we we're love it. are <laughs> yeah wearing it, it gives us a right laugh for half an hour so it kind of takes us away from any stress that we've got and then you put it up and you just get such great response from people saying about how it just really brightened their day and they just really enjoy it and that's that's sort of like the main thing for us just keeping it honest and i think as well like i think with with fitness as well it's a really hard
1: line between we never wanted to be a company that kind of said you know are you beach body ready you know it's just we don't really we don't really like that vibe ourselves anyway so we just really wanted to promote sort of a positive message and you know as Sarah said about you know talking about mental health making that a free conversation Mm. that should be talked more about doing fitness obviously is really important but also you know taking self-care and being kind to yourself is equally important as well so yeah we really try to kind of keep that balance with our social media and create some laughs along the way for people
0: (laughs) yeah that's great how did you come up with the name fresh
1: oh we brainstormed when we first did our sort of brand concept we both did like a sort of brainstorm on a piece of paper away from each other writing adjectives and feelings of how we wanted people to feel when they entered the building and how we wanted the building to look and you know smell all, all that sort of thing like the experience of the company that we were building and then we Mm. came back together and we circled really weirdly actually we wrote pretty much the same thing for everything which was great (laughs) (laughs) and fresh was one of the words that came up on both our pieces of paper and we both sort of really thought that was a really snappy name really memorable name and also kind of captured what we wanted to B. so yeah it,
4: it was a bit of a no-brainer really it worked really well funnily mm. enough though prior to this and i don't think i think we always forget this happened but before we actually came up with fresh we were really set on trying to make the studio name a and s because that was oh ridiculous. yeah we were weren't we <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so we were like we were looking at synonyms we were just constantly googling synonyms like wellness words that begin with a wellness words that begin with s <laughs> that begin with, and we were coming yeah. up with some of the most ridiculous <laughs> names just trying to fit it in, and, and almost like convincing convincing ourselves that they sounded good because we were just so set on making it an A and an S and then <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah luckily came back to that word and found that instead because I think yeah, it would have been we were a bit worried that it sounded a bit like ass as well. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that would be great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah,
4: luckily, luckily we came off that. <laughs> God, I've, I've completely
1: forgotten about that. I wiped <laughs> that in my mind. It's trauma.
4: <laughs> just like <laughs> <blank> that. <laughs> so I, I
2: just—it's—it's it's wonderful talking to you too because you—you're really honest about where you've been and what you've been doing now and how far you've come. And on that point, how far you've come? Do you pinch yourself sometimes and think, you we have a business it is hard work but we have 15 people that work for us and we love it is that how you feel
1: about it I know I definitely do (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 I think it's it's very easy to forget how far you've come and actually when we did the SME awards I think that was a real like sort of realization that actually what we've done is amazing and considering the time frame and the you know, what was happening in the world at the time we launched it as well makes it even more special for us. So, yeah, I feel really grateful for everything that's come our way, and I'm hoping that long may it continue forever. <laughs> mm.
4: I think as well, it's like it's sometimes like strange little things that catch you. Like, you know, we'll have a sometimes if I'm not teaching and I go through it, and both studios are full of people, and the classes are going really well, and the cafe's got loads of people in there, I suddenly go, my god we created this and look how many people it's affecting it's Mm. really really nice and the other thing is that every now and again you find out that friendships have been made through fresh so a little while ago one of our clients she moved back to scotland and then she came back the other day for a class and we came in the morning she was there and i was like oh what are you doing back then she said, oh, I've just been to Charlotte's wedding. And she'd been to another client's wedding. And I said, how did you know each other then? She said, oh, we met through here. Oh, and I great. just thought that was so lovely that, mm. you know, we've only mm. been open, it. they've only been around for about a year that they managed to do that. I just that, that to me was like, really got me in the feels. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that is great. And you have an event coming up next year, um, we see. And, and that's going to be, you're expanding again into something new by the mm. look of it
1: yeah we're yeah. really excited about it we're doing a three-day retreat at a lovely location called Hawsey Hill Farm which is just sort of about 10 minute drive away from Ely and it's a beautiful setting it's got safari huts lodges and a lake as well um, so we're going to be running a sort of three-day schedule where we're running classes but also doing things like barefoot walks and reflexology and yeah it's just going to be Lovely. I mean, I wish I could go to it as a client, not as a yeah. as an
2: organizer. <laughs> I don't really want to be work
4: working it, to be Yeah, yeah, it does sound <laughs>
2: fantastic. I think uh, that sounds very interesting. I'm going to be looking at that myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can yeah. definitely, definitely. It's a bit. It's one of those things that's a bit
4: terrifying because you know when you, you put it out into the world, and it's a lot more of a kind of high ticket thing that we've ever had to do before. And right. Like, but I think you know, people are really excited about it, and and it's one of those things that is needed at the moment you know mm. people really just need to go and have a few days where they just disconnect turn their phones off get back into nature and just be around lovely like-minded people for the, mm. for the few days
2: i think it's great to talk to you today you've, you've been amazing and hats off to both of you for sticking together still the pals still working together and and that that shows a lot of determination and I think you've found something haven't you which is wonderful
4: fantastic well thank you very much that really means a lot to
2: you thank you very much indeed Sarah Ford and Alice Loom founders of Fresh in Ely Cambridgeshire it's been a pleasure to talk to you today on Women Making Waves thank
4: you thank you so much that's been wonderful
2: That's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Now, we must thank our guests today, Cindy Ford and Alice Loom and Sarah Ford. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please do contact us if you know of someone we should be talking
0: to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. Bye for now. Bye-bye.